You said we need to give them what they want. Well, what do men want? Just a pretty woman to love and to take care of them and to make them feel like a man and to give them total freedom in whatever they want to do or be. <laughs> but what about what we want? How are we going to be equals with men if we keep catering to all of their needs? I think that if you want love, you have to give love. Giving men sex is a way of unlocking their love potential. You sound as if you've been brainwashed by the patriarchy. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Polish Presents. I am one of your wicked hosts, Ryan Swinski. And I'm Bartek. Not wicked, but evil. Yes, you're evil, and we are spitting Polish likingly because we're always spitting, and we both happen to be Polish, and, 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 this is our spooky month. The month of October is the time in which we cover movies of a more ooh feeling, whether they be horror movies or, or movies that are slightly creepy, or just have that general October feeling to them. So, we are spinning Polish because we're always spinning, we both have to be Polish. Bartek, I gave you some homework last week, and I wonder if you brought it in. Oh shit, what was it? I asked you if you could look into if the Polish people have anything in particular relating to this time of year, the October Halloween time of things. Alright, let me go to Google. <laughs> he didn't fucking do it. I knew he compl- do it. I, I forgot about it. You forget about everything I tell you on this podcast. Like, I'll tell you, we did The Love Witch. Did you know that? That we're doing The Love Witch from 2016? Did you remember that I suggested that as the recommendation for this episode? When um, remember? when I was doing the description for last week's episode, I had to listen to the episode to hear what the recommendation was to I remind forgot. myself. And did you remember when listening to that, that I told you to give this film a chance? I, that I was rem- my recommendation? I remembered the give it a chance thing, yeah. Okay, so while Bartek's doing some homework for himself... Poland does not celebrate Halloween, but Poland sets its cemeteries, quote-unquote, on fire, and... I was going to say, are you going to say on fire? (laughs) And, hyphen, believe me, hyphen, those cemeteries are the most beautiful places to be at the beginning of November. Where, like, how do they set them on fire? Like, what does that mean? I, I don't know. This is from a Facebook post. I want to see pictures of this. Bartek, <laughs> if you find pictures of this, he'll make sure to put those up on our social medias, Facebook and Twitter, at Spit and Polish Presents. We are doing uh, The Love Witch oh, from wow. 2016. There They're are pictures. pictures. That they are actually quite nice. So they do some creepy shit. So that's fine. Poland yeah, but- does some creepy shit. Yeah, but I guess it's in preparation for All Saints Day, which is November 1st. That's fine. Yeah. I'll forgive it. So we, like I said, doing The Love Witch 2016. If people have not seen this film, we will be discussing it in depth and spoilers and all. Recommend that you give it a check, especially if you're interested in your uh, feminist or female-led horror, witchy, pagany, wiccany... 70s, 60s inspired things. Uh, Definitely go check it out because we're going to be talking about it. I recommended it. So I am going to go over my history with this film first because, Bartek, I imagine you don't have one because you barely remember the title, but I'll go with mine first. I heard about this movie in 2016. 
I saw images of this movie, and every person that talked about it talked about it like it was a really interesting, really fun, bizarre movie that they, you know, they said the pitch of the movie, which is, you know, this witch comes to town and she's in love, but she doesn't actually understand what love is, and oh, she ensnares men and kills them. And then moves on to the next one. But it was about the look of the movie and the general tone of the movie with this kind of pastiche realm that it lives in. And I was drawn into that. And I was like, okay, I'm going to check this out at some point. I didn't check it out until maybe 2019, I want to say, maybe 2018. And I watched it here at my house and I enjoyed the movie for the most part, and then I got annoyed with the movie very much, and then I enjoyed it very much, and over the years, it's been one of those movies that I say to myself, I'd love to rewatch that at some point, because it stuck with me. Lots of things have kept here in the brain, lots of moments, lots of imagery, lots of lines, lots of performances, story beats have stuck with me. But on that initial watching, I had a a certain thing in mind. I thought this was going to be a lot more uh, overtly winking at the camera and a little bit more of a a silly affair than it actually was. And it's a very heightened movie, but I got pissed off with the movie because it wasn't what I wanted from it. And we've... We've talked about that before on the podcast, you and I, when we've covered movies, like how sometimes a movie can get on our negative side, even in minor part, because it wasn't exactly what we were expecting it to be. Uh, Whether that's fair to the movie or not, like we talked about last episode with uh, Starry Eyes, how you read a description of that uh, movie and it gave you a minor understanding of what you're going to get into and that kind of halted your enjoyment in minor part for that movie, which presented itself in a different way. And so I had that with this, with just my osmosis understanding but I really did enjoy it. I was thinking, I've been thinking about it, and then I'm like, I want to do it for the podcast. And I was going to suggest it last year, but then I was like, I really want to do the Neon Demon. Because, no joke, Bartek, I thought, Bartek will probably like the Neon Demon more. <laughs> so, and then you right. didn't. So, I'm really keen to hear your relationship with this movie. Like, I was dismissive, but I imagine you don't have a history with this. Um, no, I don't have a history with it. I haven't heard of it, and like you said, I forgot what it was until I re-listened to the episode just so I could write it down. Right. So, you went in blind? Yep, I went in blind, no description, nothing. Just 2016, The Love Witch. I might have seen the poster, but that was it. And my pleading, give it a chance, Bartek. <laughs> yep, it, and with that uh, plead... It wasn't so much that I was walking in thinking like, okay, there's something I'm not going to like in this. It was like, oh, I wonder what it is that Ryan wants me to give a chance. Um, <laughs> so it was, a, it was a pleasant little mystery there. And what a mystery it is. So what did you think of this? I really, really liked this movie. <gasps> really? <laughs> yeah, I, I was hooked in from 
really, really early on, like minute one, I think. This is the biggest twist of the year. I have in my notes here written down a response for if Bartek does not like this movie. I was just <laughs> going to say, sounds like you've been brainwashed by the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I really, really like this movie. Far out, man. I thought that this was going to... And I didn't choose it because I didn't think you'd like it. I just chose this because I legitimately think this is an interesting movie. Even if you don't like it, it's interesting. But you liked it. I really thought, especially with how we were last year with The Neon Demon, in which that film is very little plot relevance and more spectacle and like vibes and ambiance, I thought and witchy stuff, I really thought this was going to grind your gears, but then I was just like, yeah, but the film's beautiful and funny. I think the film's very funny, but... I do too. Tell me a bit more about what it was like for you watching this. Like you said, you didn't know anything, you walked in. Guide us through a bit what uh, your experience was like. Sure. Um, So when the film opens up, it has, you know, that kind of old school, like, 60s horror font thing going on. And it was like, oh, this this is retro. This is 2016, right? This is going to be interesting. Um, And then, yeah, the film opens up. You see the main character and, like, everything is really, really bright and vibrant. Mm -hmm. Like, I was not expecting that. Like, with when I know this is a horror, I knew that this was a horror film from 2016, and I just thought, like, oh, it's going to look a little bit more, like, you know, starry eyes, a bit more muted, a bit more dark. But no, the, like, she's got her red car, the red dress, a few scenes after, like, the grass she walks on is really, really green. Mm. It's like, wow, this is this is really, you know, pleasant to look at. There's so many colours going on. And, yeah, and she begins by, like, uh, narrating a bunch, you know, talking about her past and things like that, explaining that she's a witch, and it's like... It reminded me of, because we did not too long ago, um, A Streetcar Named Desire. Mm. And, you know, that's that's a 50s film, old film. And b- back then, um, you know, movies, they dialogue in that film, in those kind of films, sounded different. Because I guess there was like a, a what do you, I, I don't know how to describe it. Like a, the, the equipment makes your voice sound different. Yeah, or the like sound that. equipment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, when you try to do an impression of films from that, you know, you'll put on a voice like this or something like that. And there were times where I was watching scenes in this, especially, like, in the Victorian Maid Cafe early on, mm-hmm. um, where the two women were talking the to each other. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and even though that vocal filter wasn't on, like, it really felt like, oh, this this kind of feels like the kind of scene that you'd see, like, you know, early on in Streetcar Named Desire when they're sitting down to, like, the, the sisters to talk. Um, so it had this really interesting, like, old-fashioned sensibility about it, but with, like, you know, uh, a modern look, the modern, uh, you know, equipment to make it sound like films from today, um, and, yeah, just really colourful to look at. So it was a really interesting mix of old and new. Yeah, so, yeah, the visuals is definitely what the film is known for. It really is capturing that 60s aesthetic, and... A lot of the 50s stuff as well, like from my brief reading of the director's intentions, which is interesting to talk about because a lot of interpretations of this movie is directly against what the director's intentions are, but that's a conversation for later if we want. But she does cite like a lot of 1950s movies and stories as well. Like People think it's just 60s stuff, but yeah, I... I agree, I thought of A Streetcar Named Desire uh, at a few points as well. Um, 
And yeah, it's the vibrant colors, it's the makeup, it's the film, it's that sheen and glossy glow of the movie as well. Uh, And the performances. The performances are perfectly heightened. Like, could you imagine if the performances weren't like this, but the film looked like that anyway? It would feel disingenuous. Yeah, I... (laughs) I could not stop thinking, like, man, this is so larger than life. Like, the fact that we're seeing, like, a relatively modern film, it's only, like, half a decade old, um, and they're saying these lines that, like, do not sound like, you know, what normal people would say. Like, you wouldn't hear, like, the Starry Eyes friend group, like, say these lines offhand. Um, And even at times, like, the the vocal performance, well, it's not voice acted, but, like, some of the voices and line deliveries kind of reminded me almost of, like, uh, when you think back to like '90s, early 2000s video games, where it's like, oh, that voice acting was a little bit, yeah. you know, off. That was a funny line read, especially like when some of the men are like breaking down and acting like women, as the main character says. Yeah, yeah. I think the sound design in the movie is very much appreciated on my end. Like, I really had a chuckle and also a sensory reaction to the very cheap very B-movie sounds of people getting stabbed, for instance, or people Mm -hmm. getting hurt, and, like, how kind of echoey and hollow the sounds are, and not at all squishy and stuff. It's very bizarre. And you talked about the opening, right? And she's doing the narration, and... You know, that is very early on telling you what type of movie you're going to get, like, with the rear projection behind her and her smoking while driving and her looking directly into the camera, but she's having voiceover narration. It's not like she's speaking directly to camera. And the funny um, juxtaposition of the cuts that are being shown of how she's telling us what happened, but we're being physically shown what happened and just the the absolute hypocrisy of that, the the absolute dissonance of that, where she's just like, he left me, and then he's just like drinking this thing and choking to death from poison and falling into the spotlight on the carpet. Yeah, so many things that are said and shown in that opening scene. Like, in another film, those would be, like, reveals later on or things like that. And this film is just like, no, 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 we want to kind of establish a status quo of this stuff right from the beginning. And I thought that was one of the most interesting things. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm I'm just bowled over that you, you enjoyed this because the film doesn't really give a shit about the plot. It has. It just kind of meanders from place to place. My biggest criticism of it on this watching, and I think it was something I was feeling at the time but I, when I first watched it, but I was a bit blinded by my other feelings, was I think the movie is 15 minutes too long. I was surprised when I started and saw, like, oh, this is two hours, so there's going to be, like, a lot going on. But it's a movie that is indulgent by nature. Everything about this movie is extremely self-indulgent and hyper-specific. And so I can't get too mad at it just being around two hours long, but I felt like the, it, it worn out its welcome just a little bit. But I love the ending. It's that type of thing where it's like it wore out its welcome, but I really love the ending. And there's no scenes in particular that I didn't like. I'll tell you where I lost my patience with it that first time. Uh, if you have any guess, wait, do you have a guess on, on my first viewing? Do you have a guess what moment I, I got pissed off with the movie? Um, I don't have any confident guesses. Um, 
if I would have would it have something to do with uh, dating the police guy? Yes. <laughs> okay. Good guess, me. There was a moment where I was sitting on my couch and the movie is like plodding along and then they walk into the forest and there's like a medieval fair. And she yeah, that's what I was fucking thinking. married and they're all there and I just lost my shit. I was like, what the fuck is this? It looks gorgeous, of course. Of course it does. It looks great. <laughs> But I was just so angry, for irrationally so, because now re-watching it, that makes sense. So I was like, okay, all of this kind of thematically lines up, and I was enjoying- I enjoyed that ceremony the most. <laughs> Not the most, but a, a fair amount on the on the rewatch. But that moment, I guess it was just- I, I didn't get the movie. I was like, what are you trying to do? We're not doing the mm. story now? Or the cop is no longer being the cop? He's just going to start falling for you? Why are these people here? Why is this happening? Uh, but I, I, I had a better time this time round. Did you have? Uh, I'm trying to think how to how to talk about this movie with you. It's just such a such a beefy thing to talk about. What's something you want to want to break open and discuss? Um. Well, I already mentioned that the film started off wanting to establish like a status quo thing. Um. And one of those things is that it shows her doing that ritual with her uh, group of witches, mm-hmm. you know, where they're like naked and kissing her body, things like that. The coven, yeah. I, yeah, the coven. I was really, su- I was surprised at how, you know, because I walked in thinking, thinking, knowing that this was a horror film and like, okay, there's going to be horror stuff going on. Um, you know, this is witches, so the witches are going to do like really evil stuff. And it was really kind of a pleasant surprise to, have this coven kind of just be, like, normal people who are like, yeah, we are witches, but, like, it doesn't mean that we're, you know, super evil or anything like that. And even to an extent they were, you know, chastising our main character of, like, yeah, you're really focusing on all this, like, love potion stuff. Like, you really need to be careful with that. Like, (laughs) there was a sort of, like, casual nature to this coven that I thought was, like, really interesting. And they explained that they're, they're, they're white witches. They're white magic. They're not dark black magic they don't worship you know like they they aren't yeah they worship that they worship nature yeah and she's the one fucking shit up because you're not supposed to like kill people and shit you're not supposed to be evil but she is but she's blinded by it being the pursuit of love which is a noble good white magic pursuit but she's there comes a point where the movie, where she chastises the cop and the movie for trying to psychoanalyze her, which I appreciated very much. <laughs> it was a funny line. It is. Uh, yeah, I really respect that from my, you know, minor understanding, you know, the, the, the Wiccan side or like this witchy side of it it seems like they did their homework like it seems like a lot of the the ceremonies and the the knickknacks and iconography and all of that seems fairly if not very accurate to how these real you know groups operate and work uh i know that uh, my friend samantha who loves this movie to bits is very much into this stuff as well. And she always tells me like, yeah, that's a real thing. And yep, that's a thing. And yeah, yeah, this. And my friend Samantha is that person who, if you ask them about star signs, they could talk for fucking hours about it. So this is that type of movie. I recommended this to my sister. It was a bold recommendation. 
my sister was looking for uh they were having a b movie horror movie i don't know type deal and my sister asked me if there were any movies and i said oh there's this one called the love witch and i and i told my sister the plot and my sister was like sold we'll watch it and i was like oh as a group and i was like horrified at the notion that they would all hate it because this is a movie this isn't a movie for everyone mm-hmm. it's very demanding of you it's pa- you need patience with it and you need to know well it's one of those things where would you agree or not this is a movie that requires you to know that it's funny or is that us reading it wrong because we both agree that this is a funny movie what do you um, think i you know what now that you mentioned it i could definitely if see if someone were to watch this film and somehow ignore all of the things that we find funny maybe then they might have a problem with it but i think i think this film wears that sentiment on its sleeve a bit more obviously than like the guest does i think for the guest that might be a bit trickier for this one i think it might be a little bit more obvious just because it's so you know baked into the style of like the the line deliveries the cuts things like that the actual lines themselves yeah <laughs> But I recommended it to my sister's group, and they apparently loved it. They were having a rip-roaring time, thought it was really funny, really enjoyable, had lots of things to say. And I think that's so cool, because I keep recommending this movie to people with this apprehension that they're not going to enjoy it. But I enjoyed it in part. But my sister and their group were also talking about how... They were bowled over by the fact that the movie seems to have really researched and really understood these ceremonies and the costumes and tradition and even stuff like the knife and the chalice during her ceremony and like that's accurate and like all of this stuff seems very on point. And even though you and I may not be familiar with uh, that culture, like that, that, that realm, you do get a sense when you're watching this that there's an inbuilt lore to everything that's in this movie. And whether that's real or not, there's an inbuilt consistency of how these witches operate and how she is violating that. Yeah, everything felt right to me. And to an extent, we have seen, you know, in pop culture, little elements of things that are very obvious in this film, like... You know, a bunch of naked people sitting in a circle, like, holding hands, going around. One guy being, like, the leader, kind of leading everyone, wearing those kind of weird hats. Um, for a big focus on, like, nude women. Uh, it, it all felt very, yeah, like, it, it felt like it was, if it didn't know the things, it at least understood, like, you know, what, what, what elements in pop culture people would recognize. Yeah. In terms of, like, which, which rituals. So, you were straight away on board for the movie once you saw the visuals of how it looked and then heard the monologue at the beginning and, like, how that all plays out. Like, the opening is, you think, one that sells the movie easily on what it is? Um, Thinking back, yeah. For me, it was just a really pleasant surprise because I did walk in completely blind. Like, I did not know what I was going to expect. And the fact that this film, you know, had a sense of humor was something that, yeah, completely I didn't expect. What was one of your first big laughs in the movie that you haven't mentioned? 
Oh my goodness, first laughs. Um there's there's a lot. I don't know. I think I do this every time you ask me this, but the just in general, like a lot of our main character's mannerisms, the fact that she was <laughs> very much wearing the character archetype she was on her sleeve when she was talking to like the the cop at the beginning and the 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 interior designer. Just like, oh yes, I am I am witchy, I am this kind of larger than life character, things like that. It was just yeah, the, the, this film was not making any pretenses about what it was, and just that was, yeah, really kind of funny. Um, I know that definitely when that teacher guy, when he was breaking down in bed, like, that's where, that's really where, like, the the bad voice acting thing that I mentioned before kind of came in my head, and I, I really got a good chuckle out of that. When he was crying hysterically, what makes me laugh more is her disdain that she has on her face looking at him crying his <laughs> eyes out. She's just so annoyed. This person is all about, like, love and care, and she's just like, ugh. Jesus. One of the big laughs that I have early on, and I think they're my favourite scenes in the movie, is when they go to the tea room. Every time they go to that damn tea shop and have cups of tea, and there's a lady playing the harp in the background. <laughs> and they wear these extravagant outfits and all of this makeup. I, I lose it every time. They have brilliant conversations, but I find just the setting itself very amusing. And isn't that something to commend? It's not as if this is a comedy set, you know, like the physical set, but it does amuse me. Do you, did you get that at all when we visited the tea shop? Did you get a chuckle from just its existence? Oh, yeah, yeah. It just made me think of, like, Japan, because Japan has a bunch of different, like, you know, made-themed shops. And I was like, oh, wow, are they, are they in Japan now or something? <laughs> yeah, it was just really unexpected and, and really sincere, like, how it all played out. Like, all the employees were, you know, taking their role seriously, playing the part. Uh, another person was playing the harp. I I lost it. I lost it the first time, but I lost it even more this time. They're having like a sincere conversation or like a very um writer's writer conversation about men and desires and the patriarchy mm. and love. And then in the background, you hear the harp player go, tra-la-la-la-la-la-la. <laughs> they start tra la la <laughs> and it makes me fucking lose it. And then they have a close-up of her playing the harp and going, tra-la-la, and all of that. And I like, I can't believe we're having a scene in a 2016 movie in which these two women are talking about the complexities of gender dynamics and sex in these absurd, like, Victorian-era outfits, right? And, you know, with lines like, parasocial, but in these old-timey 60s, 50s accents and voices. And then in the background, you have a woman playing a harp with a blonde wig on saying tra-la-la, singing tra-la-la. I... Just all of that. It was. It's. This is the best way to describe the movie's humor. It's sensory overload, and that is a part of the like the joy of the movie, as well as the laughs. Is just the amount of sensory overload this gives me, and that tea shop where they have that is like the place in which that is the most present. Yeah, definitely. Early on, when when you go there, it's just whoa, 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 whoa. What are we doing? <laughs> 
uh, I said it already, but there's this thing in the movie in which you, you know, you think, oh, this is set in the time. Like, this looks like a movie from the 60s. This is a movie in the 60s. But then they start using modern phrases and things and reference points. And then you see in the background there are modern cars. And then eventually one character grabs a mobile phone. How did you feel about that aspect? Did you, and how relatively quick did you notice it? Um, I think I had a sort of similar but also reverse situation where I just assumed it was the modern day and then, like, you know, seeing a smartphone kind of confirmed that. Um, but there was a point where I'm like, wait a minute, am I supposed to, is this supposed to be another time? Like, am I just choosing to ignore the setting? But no, I, I did think most of the way through, like, oh, this is probably modern. And yeah, then it got confirmed, so I didn't think too much of it after that. <laughs> Like I remember the my first viewing that line where she, the the English friend the neighbor says, "My lord, it sounds like you've been brainwashed by the patriarchy." <laughs> I was like, "This is a fucking modern movie. <laughs> this is a fucking. They would never say that back in those days. You fucking movies, fuck off." But I love that line. Like I love that cheesy Garth Marenghi type line delivery. My God, you've been brainwashed by the patriarchy. It's something we would write in Soviet Western. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but about uh, capitalism. Yeah, my God, it sounds like you've been brainwashed by capitalism. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that was particularly uh, good. Let's talk about um, some other particular standout funny moments because this film isn't necessarily a comedy, but it does bring a smile to the face, I would say. Um, was there any other particular moments you want to reference or discuss in terms of uh, funny moments or humor? Um, I, I guess there was one. I, I don't know how intentional it was, but um, right near the end, I think it's the penultimate scene where they're in the bar or the club, whatever it was, and they were talk the the cop and the main girl were talking about how like. No, I'm going to arrest you. It's like, why? For loving too much? Maybe back in, you know, the whatever days they would burn me, but this is the modern day. It's like, yeah, yeah, okay, you got a point. And then, like, two minutes later, you got, like, all this burn the witch talk going on. It's <laughs> like- Ripping her clothes off. <laughs> all these characters are like, no, fuck that. We are, we are going to burn you. Yeah. There's so many little moments. There's so many moments like that that make me laugh of just the absolute ramping up of of the absurdity. Like, I really had a, a good belly laugh, and I don't know why, because they set it up. So it's like there's a setup and then the payoff, right? So setting up these moon and star, the new witches, the two blonde twins or sisters or whatever the fuck. Yeah. And it's like, they're there to get the exposition for sex magic and dancing and how they got to work on that. And then we cut to them at the end of the movie and they're up there in their outfits and their face paint dancing in unison and you have the crowd going wild and you are looking at it being like, oh, that's not that sexy. And then you have one of the waitresses complaining that they can't even dance. <laughs> But it's working. And, it's like, but, and then the bartender's like, yeah, but whatever she, whatever they're doing, they, they, they get the crowd wild and the waitress being like, Ugh. <laughs> so annoyed that they can't even fucking dance. Mm -hmm. Like, 
It's funny because the waitress doesn't know that whole scene setup and why they're up there doing it, but it's also funny for me, the viewer, because it's like the whole lesson was they were supposed to learn how to dance seductively, and they're not. They're just up there dancing stupidly mm. in in part, but it's still successful. Their magic still works. It's more that they're doing it, that's the thing, rather than doing it what the others would consider successfully. Yeah. They were probably using some sort of magic. Yeah, they were, they were moving. That was the magic. I also have to flag... It's the line I use to describe this movie. This is a line I use to sell this movie to people, like my sister and uh, their group of friends, which is uh, there's a point in which Elaine, our main character, is at one of the witchy meetings and she's talking to one of her, the person who owns the place that she's staying at. And she talks about how she's had to break off this relationship. And it's like, why? What happened? He's like, oh, he's so needy and all of this stuff. And then the capper to it is, I should have known he's a Pisces. <laughs> oh, yeah. And she had like a somewhat understanding reaction to that, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. The friend was like, oh. <laughs> and I say that to my friend Samantha. And my friend Samantha nods and goes, it does make sense. And I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> They were born in March, Ryan. No, they were born on the egg. Um, <laughs> born on the moon, sorry. Uh, I'll, can I tell that personal story? That's a fun story. I can't remember if I've told this on the podcast before, but I worked at a, at, at a second-hand store. And there, one of the fellow people there was a crazy old woman who always wore the same pink jacket, so we called her the pink lady. Right, or pinky. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and she was crazy, and she was asking everyone like their star signs, and me being a jerk, I was like, I don't want to tell you. And she's just like, mm. and then she guessed my star sign and she was wrong. And I'm like, ha, ha, ha. And then I asked her, hey, wait a moment. You're asking everyone else, but you haven't told us yours. What's yours? And then she looked me dead in the eyes and said, I don't have one. I was born on the moon and then walked away. <laughs> I think I remember you telling me that story. Yeah. <laughs> And then I asked my friend Samantha, the expert, and Samantha's like, no, that doesn't make sense. The moon does factor in, but you, you aren't born on the moon and don't have a star sign. So it was just to confirm my f- that that woman was crazy mm-hmm. uh, or annoying. <laughs> but <laughs> I love that line of, ah, he's a Pisces. I should have known type of deal. Like that absolute otherworldly, bizarre humor because it's like at that point we understand the witchy world enough, but it's still it's still so brazen of how little she cares for others that the notion of oh the problem he had wasn't that I poisoned him into the point of suicide or insanity or whatever it's that he was a Pisces. Mm. We have a friend that- who's a Pisces. I'm nervous for him now. Whoopsie, nervous. What what's our son are you? I'm Gemini. Oh, that explains so much. Yeah, there's like two of me. Moon. Yeah, there's two of you. I'm born on the moon. No, I'm a Virgo. I I couldn't remember if you were Virgo or Leo. Leo. No, Virgo. Virgo. Uh, But yeah, the movie is also... (sighs) There's just... Okay. Another moment that was absurd when I first saw it, and I wanted to get your reaction. She murders the first guy like the first guy dies you know he's cried and then he's poisoned and he's dead and she's like oh no and then she closes her eyes it's very solemn hard cut to her pissing in a jar Mm-hmm. what, what did you think <laughs> um i guess if i had to pick a, 
a horror moment, that would be it. But <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, this there's there's urination going on here. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I did like though that that whole scene sets up like you know she puts the tampon in. And later on, they have that line about, like, most men haven't even seen a used tampon. And then when the police officers find the thing, like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and the woman gives a knowing look. <laughs> yes. That was really good. I'm, I'm really proud of myself for noticing that and laughing. <laughs> oh, I, I, there's some just visual things that make me laugh. Obviously, the filmmaking is great. Like, visually, the cinematography, the, the, the colors, the angles... The, the the psychedelic effects that they would use, very, very good. But then there would just be some cuts or some throwaway visuals that would just blindside me and make me laugh. And I don't know what it is, but the cop himself, he was perfectly cast to play this cop because he looks exactly right. And every time they would cut his stern, stoic face... It made me laugh a lot. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like he was doing anything in particular, but just something about the way he looked made me laugh because I recognized that it was such perfect casting because he really does feel like a cop from those, like the Untouchables or something, like those old TV shows. And him and his partner reacted like that. And... I liked his partner, even though he didn't get much to do in the movie. Oh, I liked when his partner got punched, and it was like a really weird punch in the that sound was, effect. That, that was a really good laugh for me, yeah, that punch. <laughs> and the guy was just like, you've gotten too far this time. <laughs> it almost seemed like it would have, like, like the way that he, he did the punch almost seemed like a kind of piffy, like, eh, kind of, you know, shove. Um, <laughs> but it was, you know, with a fist to the face. And it didn't seem that fast, didn't seem that hard, but he reacted like it was, you know, a really strong punch. And even later on, like, when he was, like, wiping his mouth as if to wipe off blood, there was nothing there. So it, was, it really felt like a very cheesy B-movie kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And, uh, man, there's just so much in terms of the the humour. Oh, I loved her monologue as well, when the guy is crying out for her. And she, and at this point, we, we, we don't exactly know what, she's trying to do like we know that she's trying to find love and this guy's this but we don't understand how she throws away men at this point and this is the introduction to it in which she has this monologue where she's like he's such a fucking pussy <laughs> yeah yeah that was the turning point for that film for that point <laughs> yeah and and she's just like chastising him for being weak and useless and just like oh i can't believe that this is happening <laughs> Yeah, it was it was an interesting moment because at this point we were still wondering like, okay, is she getting something out of this? Like, does she like that he's being emotional? But then we realize, oh no, she doesn't. No, no. <laughs> yeah, I also really had a joy with the visuals of her and her get ups, her outfits. But now she has scientist clothes on as she's doing like, you know, here's the vials and she's got like the tongs and the Bunsen burners, but she's got like a stylish white lab coat and stylish goggles. And In her shit. little little personal apothecary. Yes. And I don't know why, but she grabs out her, her witch, you know, her spell book, right? And there's something mm-hmm. very funny to me about her doing the typical thing that you see in all of these witchy movies in which they, you know, they, they point their finger and they wave it around as they're following each word and, like, they're, they've they got their finger kind of um, 
crooked, you know, like a crone type of finger, but she's wearing giant rubber red gloves because she's also doing sciencey things at the moment, and it was just very amusing to me. Visually, it made me amused. Okay. Just the... That's not right. That's not how this should look in these movies. Like, that's the part of the humor, or part of the experience is the anachronistic feeling of not just having mobile phones in there or the language, but there are certain things visually that it's calling back to the 60s, but there's still visual things in here that are of the current era of filmmaking. And the blending of the two were done really well, but also really well for my amusement. Yeah, well, that that yeah. Even though that went over my head, like that's that's just another example of like mixing the old and the new, and even like subverting the expectation of like, oh, this is going to be you know a witchy fantasy film, but it's set in the modern day, and they're using modern things, and you know, it's just you're mixing together things that normally wouldn't be together. So yeah, I can definitely see the appeal there, and if I watch the film again, that will be on my mind. Yeah, or even amusing me. Another one was. On her on her makeup stand, she has in picture frames all of the guys, and they're all like really old timey looking photos. Like mm-hmm. the husband, Richard's photo, he looks like a fucking policeman or milkman from the twenties. Like it's yep. in black and white. <laughs> but then when when Trish opens up like the package with Richard's name on it and looks through it, there's a picture, a Polaroid, and it's like a modern looking photo. Of the two of, of Elaine <laughs> and him standing outside a shop. Yeah. <laughs> like, that kind of stuff abuses me. Like, I also love that she's already got one of the cop boyfriend. Like, she gets these photos real fucking quick. And I want to know how she gets these profile headshots of all of them. Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was it was great. Uh, performances. We've got to talk about the performances. We're talking a lot about the direction and the general tone of the movie, which deeply helps it. And I'm glad that we are, because that is the strength of the movie. But the performances are also another strength and one of the things that keeps you sustained in the movie. What did you think of our lead actress uh, herself? And uh, have you seen her in anything else? Um, I didn't look her up after watching the film to see if I have seen her or anything else, so not off the top of my head, no. I had a look. She was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I can't remember what character she's played. I only saw that movie okay. once. Maybe it's a she long was, movie. Maybe she was one of Charles Manson's girls? I don't know. Maybe. maybe probably. That's most of the women in that movie. <laughs> mm. Well, what did you think of her? Yeah, like I said, the when the scene when the when the film began and she gave the monologue and she met that the interior decorator friend person, Richard's wife, um I I was immediately drawn in. Like she was playing to this archetype while still like <laughs> well not not trying to be funny, but like the fact that she was playing to it so sincerely was funny and like at this point we hadn't really established the true like casual status quo of the witch coven so her just casually saying like i'm a witch kind of felt like oh she's making like a little joke that no one will get but like then as the film goes on it almost feels like oh yeah that could have been like a really believable thing and and she is being honest like it's Mm. it's really really interesting yeah and and it was also fun trying to work out like okay so what is this character's, like, mind state? Like I mentioned before, when she said that, like, fucking pussy little line, um, that was kind of like a turn of, like, oh, okay, there, there's something's, like, not working for her here. Um, yeah. 
yeah, so it was really interesting to see how she could manipulate uh, everything, even, you know, with a smile, even though, you know, things aren't going the way she wants. I thought her performance was one of the best performances in the last five years. Nice. She, She nails it. She has so much to juggle because it's... You could just look at this performance and think it's bad and silly and Garth Marenghi type. But like you said, sincerity is here. She's not playing this as it's a joke at all. There's no sense that she's winking to the camera. She has her comedic deliveries, of course. Like when he confronts her at the bar at the end and she says something along the lines of, okay, so as a bad girl, what are you going to do? Punish me? That was amusing because you're expecting the character to like have some sincere, like some emotions behind it. But instead, she's like, "All right, so I did it. So what are you gonna do? Punish me?" And she fully inhabits the character, and it's a very brave performance. She has to get naked a lot in this movie. She has to be sexual and seductive, and she has to make us interested in watching a character with no real morals and no real sense of purpose like she's very driven by love but that seems like a instinctual thing rather than an actual i don't know how to describe it like it just feels like Mm. a byproduct of her existence as a character rather than something she's like we never get a full understanding of what she actually wants and that's a part of the movie but the actress has to inhabit that and make us buy following this character for two hours yeah a very id performance um that's the way to describe it yeah yeah for myself when i was watching it um because she was very clearly you know she's obsessed with love love is her motivation and she talks about it a lot the t- the thing that i was kind of like trying to work out was um you know is she is she uh, sociopathic like you know she she's got like really sinister motives deep down or is she like emotionally scarred to the point that she doesn't quite recognize what it is she truly wants so there was this mm. And, you know, because we do see her throughout the film, like, express, you know, regret, or, well, not regret, but, like, you know, things didn't turn out the way I want, you know, almost like another comedic, you know, metaphor for, like, oh, you know, this relationship didn't work out, we're not seeing each other anymore, but it's that, you know, she's killed someone or ruined their life. Yeah, dramatic um, irony. Yeah, yeah, dramatic irony. Um, yeah, so just, just working out, like, okay, so what is really going on in this character's head? Because, like I said before... You know the the fucking pussy line was already something that like you know okay that's that's telling that's revealing. Um, what else are we gonna find out? Like, is she hiding you know some sort of truth, or does she not realize uh, the truth in her subconscious? Yeah, that's that is true to say. And on the actress's shoulders is she has to perform a character that's always performing. Because you would want to say that the monologues are like the real her, but those are performances that she's putting on for us, the audience, and for herself. But those realest moments are the pussy moments, those moments where she she has contempt, but those aren't her all the time. It's very hard to sell, and it makes the audience keep invested because they want to figure this character out. 
but it isn't vague enough in which you get tired and think there's nothing to figure out here. The, the, the lead performance rides this perfect line of campy, but sincere. And I was totally invested in the performance alone. I missed her when she wasn't on screen, whenever we didn't have her on screen, which was not very much, but she really captures your attention. She does the accent just right as well, that, that old-timey accent and the line deliveries, where, again, it's being able to balance it. This helps from the direction as well, where I never got tired of the gimmick of her character from her performance. Like, although I think the movie outstayed its welcome, thus the, the pastiche nature of it did wear thin with me by the end, her performance never did. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, with myself, when she wasn't on screen, I wasn't as bothered by it, because I feel like most, I think everyone really kind of gave a sincere performance. Like, even... They did. Yeah, they did. It was it, it it was a sincere performance where they had to do things very effortfully. Um, but they were they were playing towards you know a B movie style, which you know you can consider being like you know uh, purposely bad acting, like just like pivoting towards that kind of thing. And I think that they nailed it. I think they all uh, worked towards that style. And yeah. I enjoyed watching them even when she wasn't on screen. Yeah, I did enjoy watching them, but she, you know, her character is also the most uh, um, sustainable as well, because we get so much interiority on her, yet we are also very distant from her as a character, as stated. And it is interesting to try and figure out what is the issue or the wants, needs, and desires of our main character here in this movie. And I walked away with, uh, I think that this is a woman who has been incapable of understanding the emotions of love, but desperately wants to. And at the end, she's, you know, as we've seen her in the movie, but the end, very much so, has surrendered into her fantasies fully, and she lives in this dream in which she's married to this policeman guy, and she's going to continue doing the same thing over and over again, most likely. But I think that this is a story of a woman, of this specific character, who is incapable of understanding love, but determines to find out what it is and have it and fails in ways because again she's she has that you know the dramatic irony the the insanity obviously of her being like oh it just didn't work out and then it's like no but you murdered them oh was i a bad girl Mm. should i have not done that and then like at the end she's truly horrified by the idea that the policeman has fallen out of love with her her potions and her spells weren't strong enough for his sense of justice and individuality. Yeah, I yeah. looked at his face. Yeah. He looked pissed. He was really pissed. And then he became death. In in one of the quick shots, he was like a skull. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. He was. Yeah. And then it cuts back. I thought you were uh, doing like broken English because like, oh, then he died. He became no, death. No, no. <laughs> no, he became death for a second. Then he died. And 
uh, yeah, that's my kind of read on it, but what do you think? Yeah, pretty similar to you. Um, for most of the film, I was leaning on the I, the kind of what you were saying, like the, the desperation to have this love. Um, I felt like the fact that everything, you know, wasn't working out for her uh, was something that genuinely bothered her. Um, but also that yeah, her disregard for, you know, the how truly horrifying the consequences of her actions were, um, yeah, made this character darker than what she might even think of herself. Um, I had a... F- I was going to phrase it a certain way, but it's left me now. It's basically along those lines, yeah. I don't think she's pure evil, but she has a uh, a disposition for acting evil, Yes. And uh, here's a question. The film does have this, but do you believe in the world of this movie that the magic is an actual real thing or if it's it was just her poisoning people? What do you think? Because they do debate that at a certain point. Mhm. Um I mean, there are points in the film where simply her eyes work on men who, uh, you know, haven't been influenced by her, like, potions or anything like that. Yeah. Um, you could dismiss that as, you know, magical realism or just that, like, oh, she is just genuinely that attractive that men will fall for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd, I'd like to think that the, the magic is real. It just makes it a bit more, you know, dramatic. Yeah, I think it's real. And I ask this because... She reads the cards, and she's like, you're my perfect guy because of this card, and blah, and she interprets that to be the case. But at the end, when he's fallen out of love with her, and she has to stab him in his heart, she does look over at her cards, and she's kind of realizing, I misinterpreted the cards, is what I gathered from that quick exchange of looks at the did you notice like did you you know you notice that in the final sequence right before she kills him like she mentions those cards a lot she's talking about them like oh this is why we're destined to be together there's lots of destiny yeah, you see you see the three of swords a lot throughout the film yes and she interprets it one way and it seems like it's another and i'm curious of if fate and destiny and all of that is an actual thing in the context of this movie was she ever actually capable of being able to find love? Because it seems like it was supposed to be a tragic outcome anyway. Yeah, I think the only tarot card that I recognize, like, oh, I know what that one means, is she pulled out the the tower at one point, and I think that one just means something like disaster or destruction. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, of course she's she's a crazy person who's murdering people, but it's like, if fate exists in the movie, then maybe she was never able to actually succeed in her dreams and was only meant to fail, and wouldn't that drive you crazy? Poor girl. <laughs> Poor girl. <laughs> she had it tough. Gets she says the, as much. Uh, I was trying to say some sort of slang, like, you go, girl, but no, I, I can't think of the Sounds right Sounds like one. you've been brainwashed <laughs> by the patriarchy, Bartek. <laughs> what, I... to, to go, you go, girl? Yeah. She's sounds, a woman. Sounds more feminist than patriarchal, but okay. She's a woman. Oh, you I see. I, I... I'll be a woman. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm childifying her. Uh, anything else you want to say about the love witch? 
Um, uh, stupid Bartek, uh, early on in the film, when we first meet Richard, uh, in the, um, the, the maid room, mm-hmm. um, and they have that exchange, that look that, that the main character and him exchange, and that was meant to be the first instance of, like, oh, falling in love by using the eyes. Yeah, the music, um, the music sting, the sting really helped that. Yeah, um... Uh, stupid Bartek forgot what the cop looked like early on, so he thought that that was the cop coming back and that the lady was married to the cop. And so throughout the film, even though they don't look all that much alike, I was mixing the two up and thinking like, oh, this film's like playing with time. Like, she's seducing and ruining him now, but now they're on a date. What's going on here? And it took an embarrassingly long time for me to realise, oh no, those are two separate characters. Well, here's a game that Rachel and I played, and I'm curious if you have a take. Okay. We were trying to determine throughout the whole entire movie if Richard had eyebrows or not. Uh Uh-huh. If you are able to even get a a screenshot or look, you'll you'll be wondering, because I could not figure it out. Sometimes I thought it looked like he had eyebrows, and sometimes I'm like, no, no, this is just a guy with no eyebrows. I love witch Richard. Yeah, love witch Richard. Um, But yeah, he had weird brows. That is the best way to describe it. And I kept playing that game throughout of, does this guy have eyebrows or does he have no eyebrows? Does this guy have thin eyebrows that are lower on his brow than mine or what? I couldn't figure it out. Some okay, lighting yeah, made I it look s- like he had some. Some made it look like he didn't. Yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, he if he has eyebrows, they're probably, like, on the the curve. And like yes. The shadows are, like, hiding it if he does have them. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see what you mean now. And it bugged me throughout the movie. And another thing, you talked about how he looked like someone. You watched Babylon 5 recently, and now you can understand every time I say this. He reminded me of the guy who shot Garibaldi in Babylon 5, his right-hand man guy. Mm-hmm, reminded yeah. me of him, but older. And it's not the same actor, but it just reminded me of him. Uh, from, yeah, vaguely from what I remember that character looked like. Yeah, this guy's hair's a bit more, I guess, poofy, but yeah. Yeah, and so that was an interesting little thing. Yeah, I guess one of the final things to discuss is... Well, one of the final two things. How did you feel about the, the, the I guess, the feminist take that this movie is bestowing? There's lots of talk about feminism and the very differing views on it and like men are like this and women are like that and I want this and I want that how did you uh feel about that and how uh, what, what what do you think the film is trying to say I think that ultimately since the film is you know so I guess funny and has a sense of humor about it I think it's more playing with those ideas rather than, you know, trying to come up with a final message to, you know, for us to learn, to teach. Because um, they, they mentioned throughout the film so many times that, like, oh, you know, men are, you know, so unemotional. And then when the emotions come out, they kind of break down. And then I just think back to all of the scenes in, like, the police station where the police officer is just being a man. It was like, yeah, oh, the coffee, how do you feel about it? Oh, it's a bit too strong. Ah, that's the way I like it. <laughs> there's so many th- there's so many things where it's just like be a man. And, like, even in the, the, the medieval wedding scene, like, when they have their inner monologue over it, just, like, completely contrasting the scene. Um, 
I, I guess maybe mm. it was a bit cynical of me to say like there is no message, but it. I think they are mostly just trying to play around with it a bit. Yeah, I think it's being more playful than I think more most people give it credit for. I think with such lines as drowning in estrogen, I think yes. it's being <laughs> I think it's being a little bit tongue in cheek. Because it takes multiple stances, right? Like um Trish and and uh, Elaine having the conversation where the famous brainwashed by the patriarchy it's two different schools of how women understand themselves to be and what role they have to play. And again, there's lots of commentary in the movie that are even furthering the different fracturing opinions on the dynamics of men and women. And although Elaine bestows this value set, we know it to be a false one for herself because of how she actually does interact with men and how she actually wants them to do things for her instead of her doing things for them. And her absolute disdain, hatred, and vitriol for the head of the, of the, of the coven that they have. She's clearly traumatized or has negative feelings about this guy having sex with her at some point when her ceremony happened. It's something that she's still very bitter about, but doesn't that go against what she says? And so I think the film is exploring the, the very complex, interesting, and sometimes hypocritical nature of how the gender dynamics seem to bestow themselves to be. Because again, you're talking about like, the men are men, but then when the men aren't men, that's not good. But also when the men are men, that's bad. And so I think it's that thing of looking at that issue and bestowing it upon a character who is unstable. Thus, the issues are amplified in how uh, how hard it is to actually be in the correct camp, if you will. Yeah, there was that trivia point on, I think, IMDb, where there was only, like, two trivia points, where it said that the director um, was reading a bunch of self-help books, just, like, you mm. know, women's self-esteem, and how the really common, really... The, the the advice that she kept seeing in them was like make sure women that you love your men less than they love you for like you know sort of like power dynamic thing and how she wanted to kind of get that contradiction across in the film and i think yeah based on what you just said she did a good job yeah yeah i think the last thing to talk about is there's an interesting debate or thing of the movie Mark Commode, the film reviewer, talked about this. It's been talked about on even the IMDb reviews and stuff, which is the audience walks away from this movie. Viewers walk away with certain understandings of, like, influences of this and the film trying to do that. Like, obviously, lots of people watch this movie and point at certain 60s movies or certain 50s movies or certain 70s things and say, very much like this. And it seems like that is against what the filmmaker wishes or is intending. It seems like from my baseline understanding, and I didn't do too much looking into this because I just kind of did want to focus on discussing the film itself and what we got out of it, is the filmmaker has a different intention. And this is one of those films in which you have to decide for yourself, does death of the author exist or not for you? Because it seems like the f- she, a- Anna Biller, from, again, uh, I might be generalizing, was just trying to make a normal movie using 
the film conventions of the yesteryear, and she doesn't necessarily see it as a complete throwback pastiche homage, but more blending the what was traditional filmmaking styles and lighting and costume styles and the acting styles and applying it to a modern script or a modern story. Hence, we have anachronistic things in there. And I understand that, honestly, because a lot of the issues that the film is dealing with when it comes to the the, the sex dynamic of like men and women are very current issues, very current things. Things are, are talked about in a way that this film is talking about it. Like the, the phrase parasocial and and uh, toxic masculinity and patriarchy and all that are very, you know, discussed in the way that this film discusses it currently. And I think it's interesting that the filmmaker walked in wanting to use the tools of yesteryear to uh, help explore a modern issue and people walk away with this thinking that the film is just something of yesteryear. What do you think about all that? So just to summarize that, you're basically saying that she um, had an intention and a lot of people are walking away from it thinking that the film was all style? Yes, and walking away with the wrong ideas of the movie, thinking that it is just a throwback movie, because you know what those are like. We live in the age in which there's lots of 80s throwback films, in which they're there because it's the style of the thing, right? Mm -hmm. But I think this isn't supposed to just be a throwback. I think it's just supposed to be her trying to utilize what was the standards of filmmaking and lighting and costuming and applying it to a modern story, a modern issue. And so I think that's an interesting contrast. How do you, but how do you feel about like that dynamic of how the audience views a piece of art and how the creators view a piece of art? Because we are both, we are viewers and we have created stuff ourselves. Yeah, the, the things you were saying and the things you were paraphrasing from her ring true for me. I'm just having a kind of hard time picturing like the full scope of like what she believes and what the audience you know took from it. It sounds like there's elements of both that I mm. kind of think. Uh, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm just kind of struggling to grasp the full picture. Right, because when we were in university, we created a play. I've mentioned this on the podcast before, as have you. Where it was the it was a comedy, and it was the idea of what happens if the Soviet Union made a western, and that was the pitch, and we had that story, and we walked in with certain expectations of what we're going to do. We walked out of it saying we did exactly what we set out to do, and it lived up perfectly to what we wanted. But when we interacted with audiences, there were so many people who had different things that they got out of it that we weren't intending to be there the iconic one being a woman walked (laughs) up to me and commended us all on having such extensive knowledge of russian history and i was just like (laughs) we had very little understanding of russian history and we on purposely did that yeah i love that story but i didn't tell her that i just said yeah yeah of course of course i knew that um but that's what i'm just curious of because we we understand that side of it Right? We understand yeah. that side. Mm-hmm. And 
I guess it's for for this per, for for the director. I wonder if it is a pure frustration because you saw the credits. She did everything. She she did fucking everything in this movie. The set, the makeup, the hair, the fucking editing, the writing, direction. She's a Tommy Wiseau, but she's not actually in the movie as an actor. Yeah, I was about to say a lot of um a lot of people who made like the movies that we think of as so bad it's good, like the really iconic ones, like they didn't set out to make that and it just became that. This almost sounds like a kind of opposite of that where <laughs> Yeah. Where yeah. she she made a film that people genuinely love for you know, not ironic reasons, and it's like, no, that's not it. Yeah. I did read on, I did read online somewhere that apparently, like, the crew hated her, though. Yeah, I guess she had a high demand of things, and uh, yeah, it's hyper specific movie. Mm. And we also understand that of being in the creative world, we have encountered people uh, who have a very specific creative vision in mind that we may raise our eyebrows at from the sidelines, and they are very demanding of their crews and people involved to create these visions, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, and in this case, for us, it does, and I'm very happy to hear that, Bartek, I guess my final question for you is, with this being such a meandering film and such, why do you think overall, just to sum up the film and just to kind of, you know, cap it off and uh, recommend it as well, why do you think the film managed to overcome the many issues you've had with previous films that have done the similar things? Um, I'm not entirely sure which films I would be comparing this to. Well, it's not necessarily direct comparisons to Neon Demon or stuff, but it is a film that chooses lots of style, like lots of visuals and style, lots of visual storytelling. It is a film with a very confusing, if not non-existent plot. The characters are clear representations of ideas rather than like fully fledged movie characters and uh that kind of thing which i know you've had some quibbles with in the past i was just curious because again like i said i really thought you weren't gonna like this like this is gonna be too much for bartek to handle yeah i don't know it's been a really interesting experience because like you you mentioned like talking to me and talking to your sister who's gonna show it to a group of like you were really worried people weren't gonna like it and i I think the film is perfectly likable on its own. Like, I think you might be a bit over-worried. I even read on Wikipedia that, like, it's gotten, like, universal critical acclaim. Yeah, and then you look at the IMDb reviews and they're all, like, four, three stars out of ten, and they're like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) I didn't look at the reviews, but I did see that the overall score was, like, 6.7, which, that's how unappreciated masterpieces, like, you know, standard... (laughs) I'm keen, yeah, that was interesting. I'm keen to see her make more films. I think she's made one or two other films, and I think she has like a large gap between them because I, I mean, looking at this film, it would take a fucking while to get this one made, wouldn't it? Yeah, especially if she's trying to handle everything. <laughs> everything. That's it. Love Witch. I recommend it highly. I think it's for a specific type of people, but I think I would love to watch this in a group like my sister did. I have not, and I would love to. Do you think this would be a good group experience movie? I think so, yeah. I think, um, even though this film is classified as a horror film, 
I think if you showed it to someone without telling them what the genre was, they might not even think horror. Like, obviously, it, like, draws from occultic imagery and has, you know, some violence in it and some dark stuff going on. And our main character's a serial killer. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, don't, I, I don't really walk away from this film, like, thinking, like, yeah, that is that is a typical horror film. Like, I think you can get away with, you know, this just being, like, a kind of fun occultic film. Yeah. I love these type of movies for some reason. That's why I liked Neon Demon. That's why I like The Vavitch and lots of them. I, I, I like witchy occult stuff in movies, but not in real life as much. I have less of a tolerance for them in real life. I have less of a tolerance for hearing people being like, ooh, I had a spirit in my house, so I had to get the local Wiccans in to burn some fucking incense. I'm like, oh, well, shut up. Well, I can understand when they call you the boy. Yeah, I was the boy, according to old Pinky. <laughs> Um, so you recommend, I recommend, but we have a recommendation for next episode from our listeners out there, from our listening people out there have a recommendation. This is one that's been sitting there waiting for a very long time, I feel, and our good friend Lachlan recommended it, Lachlan Redfern, who has been on the podcast a couple of times, Mm -hmm. recommended a film to us, and he's mentioned this film to me pretty much since the dawn of our friendship, and the film is Dead End Drive-In, which is an Australian sci-fi action horror film from 1986. So interesting, Dead End Drive-In? Dead End Drive-In. It's been mentioned to me a lot, and it's been mentioned as a it would be a good one to watch in your October spooky times and just that general uh, vibe. So, okay, uh, yeah, and so I am looking forward to also revisiting an Australian film, an Australian spooky, eerie, whatever type of film. I always enjoy how we approach genres as well, where I think Australia needs to embrace being genre filmmakers more often than just comedy and crime. Even though I enjoy our comedy and crime movies, I I wish we did more horror. Like We're also very good for horror, but I wish we did more science fiction stuff as well. Uh, But that is it, Bartek. Where can people find us on the internet? You can find us on the internet at various websites. One example is twitter.com. We are Spit and Polish Presents on there. We're also on Facebook.com, Spit and Polish Presents as well. We have a YouTube channel where you can also find our episodes, and other episodes can be found on such websites as Podbean.com, uh, Apple Podcasts, I don't know if that's a website, um, Google Play, that's it's an a app. website. It's an app. It's, a, it's an app. Take a nap. I don't know what I'm going with this. Uh, we're also on a Spanish streaming service. I think we're on Spotify. Did I say that already? Yeah, we're on Spotify. Uh, we're on. We're on a lot. We're on YouTube. Go, in fact, I met. Yeah, we're on YouTube. We upload things there. Have to make sure you click the Spooky Month thing when you upload the episode for the playlists. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And if you go to not Google Play but Google.com, you can just type in Spit and Polish Presents. That is you'll it. Find us. We have our email, spitandpolished at gmail.com, in which you can recommend us movies to cover on the show, or you can recommend them via our social medias, and we'll add them to our ever-growing list of films. Oh, Bartek, what a pleasure this has been to discuss The Love Witch with you. And oh my lord, I'm just feeling so 
in need of love. Oh God, I dreamed, Bartek. I had a dream that I was calling out your name saying, do the Polish homework, Bartek, do it. And then you walked into the podcast and said, I didn't do it. And then I, and then I had this terrible image of you looking up burning graveyards in Poland and going, it's beautiful. <laughs> well, Ryan, quiz time. What was the second thing I said in this episode? That you were evil. Exactly. <laughs>